Welcome to Podcast on Podcasting, brought to you by Studio. We're your go-to resource for big ideas, helpful data, and practical tips on the art of corporate podcasting. So today on the show, we're going to shift gears a little bit because we already have a lot of talent in-house to teach you about podcasting. Reed Mangan is our engineer and resident audio expert. He's worked on a lot of radio programs, NPR programs, on-set audio production for TV, film, and then, of course, Lisa Stuarty, creative executive and co-producer of this podcast. And today we're going to tackle a lot of those technical questions that almost all people have when they're beginning a podcast. Reed, I know you deal with this all the time. People come to you, hey, I want to start a podcast. What do I do? They're intimidated by the gear side of it, right? Yeah, it's a bit of a taboo. Um, and I think it's just because, you know, with with iPhones, with cell phones, and the way that you can easily do video, I think people just inherently are more comfortable with it. So, uh, you know, audio isn't the same way. You know, like phones don't have microphones with cables that you can put in somebody's face. And so people aren't, they don't really understand it, but it's it's so easy. Let's role play a little bit. I've okay. come to you. Hey, I've got, my name's JB. I got this great idea to start a podcast and it's going to be for my company. What do I do, Reed? Well, you're asking me to do it for free for you? Because that would be the normal first question. <laughs> <Right. So. laughs> you probably have a lot of questions you're going to fire back at me, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it, you know, like, like mostly everything and, and it's kind of obnoxious, but it depends, you know, like. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, just to jump in, I, I couldn't agree more. That is the first question. And just speaking more on the producing side, like it's the wrong question. What I see or a common mistake that I see when people want to get started is they have all this enthusiasm around they've got an idea, but an idea doesn't equal a show. And they haven't fleshed out that idea. So they focus on something they feel like they can control, which is buying gear. <laughs> yes. And they create a shopping list because it feels like progress. Mm -hmm. You know, it feels like you're, you've got momentum and you're moving towards that goal of getting started. But sometimes I think that can really be a distraction because there's not a there there yet. And they need to really work hard at fleshing out that idea and, and into something that really is a show with multiple episodes that can sustain itself. Okay. This is where the two of you, Lisa and Reed, will be very, very helpful. Let, put your producer hat on for a second. Somebody that you know is like, I'm gonna, I want to start a podcast for my company. I need your help. What are you going to do first before they're doing the gear list to Reed, right? Where does that go? Like, how can they use that producer brain to flush all this stuff out? Well, I mean, my thing with, with you know, the gear list is if you can't do a verbal elevator pitch for what your show is, what the big idea for the show is, and what the first three episodes are, you're not ready to shop for gear yet. If you can't write up a, a clear half-page brief on what your show is and what the format's going to be, what, you know, the length is going to be, how it's going to be produced, you're not ready. It's funny that you say that because no amount of gear is ever going to make your show better. You know what I mean? Like, you could have a terrible show on really good gear and it's still a terrible show. You could have a really good show on terrible gear, mediocre gear, and for the most part, it's still captivating and interesting. So, but... You know, to, to take that to the next step, okay, let's say we have our elevator pitch. We've figured out the show. We have a show. We have more than an episode. We have a show. 
So now you do want to start thinking about gear. You want to think about how you're going to record it. And to uh, the first thing that you should think about is actually where you're going to record it. Um, because in the same vein, no, no amount of gear is going to make a bad sounding space sound good. So finding a quiet space that doesn't have, you know, a ton of room noises like uh, like air conditioners or, or refrigerator hum or, or barking traffic, dogs. barking dogs, um, you know, that's important. And then also listen, when you talk in the room, you know, especially boxy rooms that don't have a ton of uh, things on the wall or carpet or whatever, they, they echo and they echo harshly and it just doesn't sound good. And no matter how close you get to the mic because of the room, it's going to sound like that. So you're looking for a, a relatively quiet room that has some character to it and some things in it such that it's not echoing all over the place. Yeah, uh, and I, I would just uh, reiterate what Rita's saying uh, on the space side, but more from an emotional level as well. So another reason why picking that space before you get into the gear aspect is so important is you've got to envision what's going to happen in that space. Am I going to be interviewing guests? Is this a welcoming space where they're going to feel comfortable to relax and speak freely? Or, you know, um, is it more, I mean, you don't want something that's staunchy yeah, and stiff. A lot, you know, a lot of hard surfaces, a lot of right angles, something that feels more like a TV set or a place where someone gets interrogated, you know, <laughs> right. that's a, the thing you want to avoid. Kind of put that contract engineer hat on for a second now. I'm glad you're going here. Yes, yeah. because I'm sure you've been hired a time or two to show up at a business and record something like this. Been hired and hired. I've been on both sides of that. So yeah. if somebody is like, all right, we want to, we want to, like you said, Lisa, we flushed it out. We've got the episodes in mind. We have the host. What would you recommend to people? Like, no, let's, let's not go buy a bunch of equipment yet. Let's hire somebody. Let's contract somebody to come in, set up, engineer it. Like literally they run it record after they produce it and hand you the file done what can those scenarios look like and well the, your thoughts on them they're a lot easier to do than i think people think and they're a lot more cost effective to do than people think um for the most part the you're not going to have a team of 10 right and so for the most part you and a couple of other people should be focused on story so alleviating the tech requirements of the podcast it's going to be super helpful you know Sound engineers usually work on, eh, you know, a lot of them. I can't speak for all of them, but most of them work on a day rate. You know, they, they'll do like a half day or they'll do a full day. And most of them have and own their own gear that they'll bring on site for a daily rental fee. You know, this, the same way that if you went to a, 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 an AV rental shop in town, they would rent you gear. For or they might handle days. facilitating that rental. Sure, right. sure. And so there's some benefits to that. And one, this is a trained professional who does this for a living and, and knows how to do this anywhere. But two, they have gear that they're familiar with and that they use all the time, right? So uh, God forbid something goes wrong and you need to troubleshoot, you know, there's issues with power or whatever it is. Because of their familiarity with the gear it's going to minimize your downtime. Um, but if you want to talk hard numbers, for instance, you know, it, it differs in different parts of the country and where you are. And for the most part, I would say that gear plus uh, an engineer for a full day will run you somewhere between 600 and $1,000. Okay. And, and, that, and that's for somebody who's, you know, you can find it cheaper, you can find it for, for more, but I would say that for good quality and a good a good person who knows what they're doing, that's that's about the budget. And, and it's range. a 
I'm guessing it's a good chance to try it before you buy it too. Hey, we liked what the, our engineer brought. Can when you help us replicate this stuff in a purchase, which they, I'm sure they would probably do. But then the contract engineer has worked with numerous people over the period of their career, right? Mm-hmm. And so they're you, you're sort of getting a coach in a way too, are you not? Like when you sit down at the microphone and start talking, you're probably stopping from time to time going, they're giving you a little nuggets of advice. A good engineer cares deeply about the final product and and specifically the sound, right? And so you should use them as a resource if you go that way. You know, you talk to them about the space that you're in. Talk to them about how you position people in the room and where you sit them. Talk to them about, about you know, vocal level and, mm-hmm. and how to speak into the mic. And, and for sure, like, it, it's definitely a great way to try it before you buy it for equipment, but it's also a good way to try it before you buy it with your show. Because if you use them for the first three to five to six to ten and you're losing steam on the show, et cetera, you've just saved yourself a lot of money in equipment expenses for something that didn't end up lasting. And having to deal with Craigslist solicits to sell it when you're done. yes. Well, I'm just, I mean, I'm a big fan of kind of the test and learn approach, not only for podcasts, but just in general with anything where you're trying to develop an audience because, you know, you, you can walk into it. And that's why I specifically said, you know, you want a brief with, you know, your first three episodes, but not your first 15. Why? Because this is a conversation. We're not barking at people. We're learning as we go. We're trying new things. We're establishing our voice. We're establishing our audience. And each episode should teach us something new about who we want to have on as guests or, you know, how long the episode should be or, you know, whether we want to be in a fixed location or mobile. You should walk into it with a plan of attack, but you also have to be flexible and responsive enough to respond to what you're learning from your audience as you mm-hmm. go. Yeah, being nimble is is very important. Um, and you know that'll that'll also help you cuz you know if you if the if the show is successful and and it's something that you are committed to for a long period of time, buying equipment is going to be something that you'll want to do. Um, but after your first couple of shows, you'll start to figure out how you're doing them and then you can really sort of um, streamline and maximize the equipment that you're buying that fits your exact needs and the needs that you've sort of grown into. Well, Reed, like for the sake of uh, people who are just getting started and they may already have a line item in their budget for equipment, you know, say $5,000, how would you counsel them? Well, I mean, $5,000 is a lot. I think that's, you know, that's probably something that people don't realize. In this world, $5,000 can get you really far. Something that I like, and, and this, is, this is a basis on, on good-sounding, well-built, but also user-friendly. So that, that's, those are sort of the requirements that I'm going for here. Uh, I would start at, with actually what we're using here. I love these mics. I've always been a fan of Shure, but they're Shure SM7Bs. They're broadcast mics, um, and they're meant to be talked into very closely for a very intimate sound, and they don't pop peas as much as you'd think like peter but you, you see like they actually they're they're relatively set and forget so you'd need a a stand and a and a cable for each one of those now there's two different stand types of stands you can use you could use a, a typical sort of music mic stand that you'd set on the floor next to you and and you'd rig the mic up in front of you or they make tabletop mounted arms that look more sort of professional radio type. Um, we're using the arms that are made by a company called Rode, R-O-D-E, and they work uh, really well. 
a lot of people do like the desktop stands. I'm not a big fan. I don't think you are. No, because you know what ends up happening is people are typing on their computer or they're shifting papers on the table. And inherently, whenever you bang on the table, that actually with a tabletop little mini mic stand that's got the the metal base, you're going to hear it in the mic. You're going to constantly be hearing this rumble and, and it's going to drive you nuts. I'm not a big fan of traveling with these through airport security. I'm just... With that metal base. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. I mean, and and I should note that this is kind of what I'm talking about now is for a relatively stationary um, production. So I think we can get into later on down the road more, you know, unique types like traveling and all of that or, or live audiences, et cetera. But for now, it's just kind of stationary, uh, you know, set and forget type. So we've got your preferred microphone. What's next? So after that, you need a mixer, right? And and mixers are those big kind of square things that sit on the table that have a bunch of knobs that nobody knows what the hell all of them do. <laughs> Except but you. It's, well, yes. You and Dr. Dre. Yeah, I'm not going to give away the secret. Uh, I, I've i been a fan, and I know, JB, you are too. The, the PreSonus AR8 is a relatively inexpensive mixer that just, it's small, compact, sits on the table. Uh, it'll run you about $400. Um, and it can use, you know, you can plug as many as four mics into it at a time. And you don't have to run that to a computer to record. You do it not. Can, you can if you want. You, it does come with software and you can run it to a computer to record everything. But you can also use an SD card like you would put in a, you know, in a point and shoot camera into it and just record the mix that you've put together. So it's pretty much just a stereo file that you can load onto your computer and upload right away. And that, I mean, that's sort of the, that's a, that's a basic setup there. And that, you know, to, it'll cost you about $400 per mic, 25 to $30 per mic uh, cable, uh, $100 per mic stand, and $300, $400, sorry, for the, uh, the mixer. So you, you see it running the gamut of people with no headphones, studio headphones, earbuds. What is your recommendation? Because that's what matters. Never earbuds. I, I don't like them. I've never been a fan of them. I know a lot of people that use them all the time. I just don't think that they sound good. I don't think that they are good enough at keeping the sound from bleeding into the mic. Um, for no headphones, at least some, at least one person, you know, whoever the sort of the main person is, whether that's the host or sort of a, a, an engineer that's not part of the show, somebody needs to be listening at all times to make sure that uh, there's no distortion, that the levels are okay, uh, you know, all that. Speaking into a microphone and hearing your own voice, right, in headphones is, is super unnatural for most people. It's kind of, it doesn't feel right. If you're sitting close enough, your guess, I would say it's based on comfort. You know, if, if they can hear you in the room like a normal conversation, then no need for headphones. But definitely at least one person needs to have headphones. And to give you a ballpark, these most of those good studio quality headphones run between ninety and one hundred and forty bucks. Is that a good ballpark? I would say that's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and these, so, and, I mean, all the years in radio, these Sony's have been popular with MDR seventy five oh six. Of course, he knows the number offhand. I love them. <laughs> they're, I mean, they're a hundred bucks. Uh, they're relatively robust in make. And, you know, when they get beat up and thrown around, it's not cringeworthy because you may have to replace them. Yeah. So they're, they're Because good. you spent three or 400 on right. a pair of bows. Right. Now, it, I'll take it one step further, and I don't mean to muddy the waters a little bit, but this is important. If you are going to have multiple people with multiple headphones, you are going to need something to split 
the signal. Mm -hmm. So uh, PreSonus actually also makes a headphone amp, um, which would work well in this instance. And I think that that runs about $150. And just chiming in too, like we're together right now in the studio recording with a stationary setup. But you know, even in a stationary setup like this, we still dial guests in, you know. Um, mm -hmm. Maybe read quickly. It would help the audience. Like if you just rattled off the two or three things, like if you're going to dial a guest in, what kind of setup would you advise them to have so that we get the best quality, you know, with sure. them dialed in? So Skype is a really, um, really powerful tool in this. Um, and mainly because you know, it's, it's, it's a free service that you can dial back and forth with one another. It's on, it's on computers, it's on phones. It's very easy for people to use it. But also it has a record function. So if you're going to Skype somebody in, you can actually ask them to use Skype to record their side. Um, and that is just going to lead to a better sound, that less digital, that less internet streaming sound that you'll get like if you record kinda it. It's kind of swirly, right? Exactly. And so... You know, what you could do is is that the simplest way to do it is put somebody on Skype on speakerphone in the middle of the table and just have a conversation with them like you would a conference call or a speakerphone, right? And then you can take their, their file, they can send it to you, and you can sync it in later. Um, Which is another thing for down the road. Yeah, pretty simply. <laughs> um, but you could also, at the same time, if you use a computer, you could use the audio out on the computer into another track on the AR8 and record it that way. You can even run, if your phone still has an audio jack out, you can talk about that. Don't get <laughs> me started. They do make adapters for it if you have a newer phone where they've ditched the uh, audio jack. There are adapters to do it, but that could be a simple means of piping in a guest, literally from your phone into your mixer, correct? Yeah, absolutely. What you can also do is, and I've seen it done a hundred times, is you can take an extra pair of headphones and put them on top of the microphone on your phone and take an extra microphone and put it next to the speaker on the phone and just record it that way. Just treating your phone like a human. Yep. <laughs> I do that every day, multiple times a day. I feed my phone, as a matter of fact. <laughs> it's not pretty. It's not not the highest uh, fidelity, but it certainly works. You mentioned earlier, Reed, that you've you know been hired for projects and you do some hiring. I think it'd be really important for everyone listening to find out you know, what you look for when you're hiring somebody? Where do you go to hire? What are good resources? And then what traits are you looking for when you hire someone to do on, uh, contract audio engineering? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I mean, I think uh, there's a good site out there called Production Hub, productionhub.com, which you can usually search by your area and find the type of production that you're looking for. That's a pretty good resource. Um, a lot of people I know post on Craigslist looking for people. I've I've never had good experience with that. I don't find that it's a great way to really gauge who's applying and who you'll be hiring. So I I don't usually advise on that. Yeah, and never underestimate either the value of word of mouth. I mean, you know, whether that's your, your marketing department or if you have an in-house creative team or, you know, a, a video unit in your company. Or even a local rental agency. Yeah. You know, if there's a, if there's a, if there's a gear rental place in town that you know of, they they would certainly know. Okay. They'd certainly be a good resource. Now, you've found a couple. You found one. What? How do how do I know that they're right for the job? Well, you know, this may sound cliche again, but like, are they genuinely enthusiastic about the project? 
You know, I'd also say that a good engineer will off the bat start asking a bunch of questions to try and make sure that they know exactly what you're looking for and then can provide you with exactly what you need. You know, somebody that's personable, um, because remember, some some people that you may be bringing in, uh, they may be clients. Every part of your production team needs to be professional. They're representing, as far as they know, they you work for your company. Bingo. So right? don't don't underestimate the power of you know, a negative person that doesn't fit mm. being in that room. So yeah, are, are they excited about the project? Are they enthusiastic? Do they communicate well? And are they asking a bunch of questions to try and figure out the best way to execute? Well, Reed, that was excellent. I know that you covered a lot of things in this episode. This was very, very helpful. And uh, you are a good tech go-to expert. Much appreciated. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks. 